Well, if you're new, you can open up a Bible if you have one or even your phone app to uh, the book of Ephesians. We are actually finishing the first chapter with her 11th message in the book of Ephesians, but it's such a, a rich book. And the reason we're spending so much time in this book of Ephesians is because of its relevance to us. The Ephesian people were from one of the largest cities in the, in the um, Middle East to the uh, uh, Asian Empire during that time, one of the four largest cities, largely made up of non-Jewish people who were involved in idolatry. They worshiped the goddess Diana or Artemis, some of your Bibles describe her as. And as part of that practice of worship, they were involved in occultic activity, which was witchcraft and sorcery and the magic arts and all these kinds of things, which opened the doors to kind of demonic involvement in their lives. Now, they'd always been on the outside looking in on the Jewish faith because they were outsiders. They didn't grow up with the scriptures. They didn't grow up with the rituals and traditions of the Jewish faith. But now, through the gospel, they, the doors have been opened for them to come in. And so as Paul preached to them, many gave their, their hearts to Jesus Christ. And they began to follow him and to worship him. And so when Paul writes this letter as, as an encouragement to them, he reminds them what God has done for them through Jesus Christ. He reminds them who they are now that they are in Christ. That's a huge phrase in this whole book, actually in the New Testament, being in Christ. It changes everything about you and your identity. And then he reminds them what they're to do. And we'll actually get more into that as we get further in the book. But in this first chapter of Ephesians, it's kind of divided into two halves. The first half was Paul's praise about God, and the second half is his prayer. And that's where we've been anchored the last few weeks. Paul prays for them that they would know God better and better. And last week I shared that knowing about something or someone is different than knowing someone or something. And we, we recognize that with individuals. I can know a person because I've seen them on TV, I've seen them in the movies, but I've never actually met them, I've never had dinner with them, never really talked with them. I don't know them, I just know about them. Or we can know about experiences, and I share like pregnancy. I, I know about it, I've never done it, I don't know what it's like. I can't say I really identify with it. So I don't know it like many of you ladies know it. And so we can know about God, and I grew up in a church where I knew a lot about God, but I didn't know God until I entered into a relationship with him when I was 16 years. See, God wants to be known. He can be known. He desires to be known. He's made it possible for us to know him through trusting in his son, Jesus Christ. And so we have this, this letter written to people who are very much like you and I, struggles with same issues, with marriage issues, with family issues, with temptation, with thoughts of who we used to be and who we are now. And so Paul's encouraging them. He says, I want you to know God more and more and the things that come with the knowledge of God. For example, the hope of your calling. Know where God is calling you to. Know that he's invited you on this journey that's going to take you all the way to heaven. Know the riches of your inheritance, that God has provided this rich inheritance in heaven for you. Yes, you'll feel shortchanged on earth that time. Sometimes you won't have everything you want or, or feel that you need. Yet God has provided for you richly. This life here is so short compared to the eternal life in heaven, and God has great riches stored up in a place where they'll never fade or spoil or, or, or decay. They're there in heaven for you. And then he lastly said that, that he wanted us to grow in knowing the power of the resurrection of Christ, the power of Jesus Christ. This power is a Greek word, dunamis, from which we get um, dynamic, dynamo, dynamite, it's explosive, it's powerful, it enables us to do things that are, are not like ourselves. We are limited in our own power, but, but through Christ we're able to do things beyond ourselves. And that's where we pick up the story. 
That's where we pick up the prayers. Paul is praying. We just kind of pause because he's going to go into this kind of, it, it seems like a tangent talking about the power of the Lord. And as you came in today and as we've been worshiping, worshiping the name, the wonderful, powerful, awesome name of Jesus and asking his Holy Spirit to be among us, I hope that's been your prayer, that God would speak to you today, that he would speak to you through just your experience of being in his presence today, in the worship, taking communion, participating in the offering, and hearing his word, and that those words would penetrate your heart because our willingness to be open really determines how far we'll grow. And the more open we are, the more the word penetrates and goes deep. And so my, my hope and prayer this week for you is, has been that you would open your heart to his word. For some of you, this could be a very significant day as you understand who Jesus wants to be in your life. So if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to finish Paul's prayer in this passage. Ephesians 1, and I'm actually going to go back a little bit from part of last week just so you can get the full sense here. He prayed that we would understand the power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Paul is emphasizing the fact that this power that belongs to Jesus that raised him from the dead and ascended him to heaven is the same power that is at work within you. That Jesus is all-powerful. And because we're united with him, we have all the power we'll ever need. Jesus is all-powerful. And if you are in Christ, if you're united with him, you have all the power you'll ever need. All of it. All that you'll ever need is found in Jesus Christ. So let's look at this power. What's this power like? Well, first of all, Jesus' power can raise you from the dead, take you to heaven, and handle everything in between. Because it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It raises you from the dead. Spiritually speaking, at the beginning of your Christian walk, there's a spiritual resurrection. Just as we saw baptism, it symbolizes spiritual resurrection. He, just as he raised Jesus from the dead, he raises us from the dead. And just as Jesus ascended to heaven, one day he will raise us up to be in heaven. So we've got this, these kind of bookends from the beginning of the Christian life, the hope of our calling, all the way to the riches of the inheritance that await us in heaven. And the power of God raises us spiritually from the dead so we can start this new life. If, if you've experienced this thing called being born again, you've experienced the power of God. You experience something change within you. If you've never experienced a change within you, I have to suggest that maybe you don't know Jesus like you should. Because there's a power that's supposed to be incredible working in your life. It may not be highly emotional at the beginning, but there ought to be a power that's, that's evident that you sense in your life. That I'm not the person I used to be. That's the spiritual resurrection. And then at the end of, the, end of our lives, we're going to be buried in a grave. And God says, I'm going to raise that body and your spirit one day from the dead. That's coming down the road. But in between, that's, that's where we live right now. We're in the in-between phase between the beginning of our salvation. For most of us, some of you have never made that decision, and our prayer is that you would, maybe even today. But we start the, the, the beginning here. We're going to be raised from the dead. I'm going to go to heaven someday. But I'm in this in-between place, and I need power. I need power for today. And that's what he gives power for today. We have a program on Friday nights called Celebrate Recovery. And one of the tenets of Celebrate Recovery 
is that, is that we all have our hang-ups, we all have our hurts, we all have our bad habits, and we can't fix it ourselves. We need a higher power. Now, a lot of recovery groups focus on a higher power. Celebrate Recovery tells you who the power is. It's Jesus Christ. He's the good power. He's the power that can help you and me. I heard, I've heard this many times where people will say to me, I, I don't believe God gives us anything that we can't handle. And I couldn't disagree more. God always gives us stuff we can't handle. All the time. To show us that we can't handle it and that we need him. There's all kinds of situations in my life. Parenting, marriage, work, finances, all kinds of areas where I run into a wall and say, God, I can't do this. And, and when you reach those points, you do one of two things. You either let, raise your arms and surrender, say, I give up, I can't do this. I need you to rescue me. I need you to help me. Either you do that, you surrender, or you stiffen. And you get mad at God. God, why is all this happening to me? God, why are these bad things happening to me? And you get really resistant to God. And you're not submitting to him. You're actually fighting against God and you're blaming God. And and what you expect is God's going to make everything smooth. I don't don't experience that. (laughs) If you're a Christian and everything's smooth for you, well, good for you. But that's not been the experience of, of Paul or anybody in the Bible. You've got opposition against you constantly. It is frustrating. It is difficult. It's as difficult, if not more, to live the Christian life than to, to live the secular life. doesn't make it easier. It just means you have a resource that will help you all through your life, and that resource is Jesus Christ. He is the strength that helps us. I have a, a riding lawnmower that was given to me by someone from our church when they upgraded to a, a nicer model, but it still works, still mows grass. And so uh, I've been mowing the grass in our yard, and every once in a while I'll experience this. Thing stops moving. It just stops moving. And, and the engine's running. It just isn't going anywhere. It's not even cutting any grass anymore. And so what I've realized is I know what the problem is. I shut it off, get underneath the backside of it, and the belt has slipped off. The belt's not tight enough. And so it, it, through the bumps and stuff, it falls off. And when the belt isn't there, I can't engage in the power that's already there. So the engine's just as powerful as it's always been. The difference is I can't engage it because the belt's not connected. And here's the truth I see in so many Christian lives. There's unlimited power available to you and to me, but some of you aren't engaged. You're not connected to draw upon that power, but the power's there. That's what Paul's saying. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The same power. It's not a different one, a lesser one. It's the same power. That's a lot of power, isn't it? It's available to you. If you're engaged. Now, in the Old Testament, the, the biggest miracle that, that was kind of the reference point for God's power and the display of his power was the exodus out of Egypt. And so the writers always referred back to the time when God rescued his people with his mighty hand from the grip of the Egyptians. In the New Testament, the reference point is the resurrection of Christ. The display of God's power is so great through, through God. Delivering Jesus from the grip of death through his resurrection from the dead. And yet, if you go through the Bible, you'll find in the Old Testament and New Testament a number of times when people were raised from the dead. You've got Elijah the prophet raising the Shunammite son. You've got uh, Peter in the New Testament raising Dorcas or Tabitha from death. And you have people that are raised from the dead. But 
But Paul adds something very significant. The power did not only raise Jesus from the dead, he seated him in heaven at the right hand of God. He put Jesus in a position of authority and power like no one has ever been in before. When people win Super Bowls and win championship games and the reporter comes and says, now that you won the championship game, what do you want to do? And and they always say, I want to go to Disneyland, right. And if you were to thrust a microphone in Jesus' face after he rose from the dead and say, Jesus, during these 40 days you're wandering, where do you want to go? He'd say, the right hand of God. It's It's not the greatest place on earth. It's the greatest place in heaven. There's one seat, and it's for him. See, to sit at the right hand of God means you are equal with God. You, you, you are due the same honor as God. And if you read the book of Hebrews, it talks about the priests of God, how the priests would offer these sacrifices, this, these bloodied animals, again and again and again, every year offering them to God for the sins of the people. But when this priest, Jesus, the high priest, offered himself, shed his own blood on a cross for the sins of the people, It says that he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down, meaning it's finished, it's done. The work of the priest is over. Jesus has completed it. And so this power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at God's right hand is the same power available to us. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians was written from the same prison about the same time to a similar group of people. Paul says to them, since then you've been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Know that, that where he is, you're going. You're going to be in that place with him. That's the imagery. Of that's coming, our physical resurrection from the dead. But right now, we've actually been raised spiritually to walk in a new way of life. This power was something the Ephesians needed to be reminded of because they were people who were very familiar with power. If you remember back in Acts chapter 19, there were seven sons of a Jewish leader named Sceva. And they went into a house trying to cast a demon out of a man. And if you remember that story, they said, uh, we want to give the name of Jesus like Paul does. The, the Jesus Paul preaches about, that's the name we're going to call on to get you out of that guy. And the the demon saw through that and says, I, I know Paul, and, and, and we know Jesus, but we don't know you. So, hoo-yah! This, this guy just goes into this, you know, this just fight and beats up these seven guys. Seven guys get, get, it says they went out of the house naked and bleeding. So ripping their clothes off, beating them, knocking the snot out of them. They go running out. And then it says right after that, if you remember that sermon, um, It says people brought out their books and scrolls of sorcery and magic, and they burned them, and it was valued at at, at thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars because they recognized that we're not playing with a, a, a good power. See, they recognized there was power out there. That's why they tried to tap into it through magic spells and potions and incantations. They, they felt that there, there's a power out there. Do you know most cultures believe there's powers out there you can tap into? You can, go to, you can go to almost every other culture except the Western culture. See, we, we intellectualize everything. We say there's a human explanation or a, or a tangible physical explanation for everything that goes on. Every disease is caused by germs and everything. You know, there's never any demonic causes for anything because we're smarter. We're smarter. We don't believe in those things. And you know where that largely came from? The Western church. 
I grew up in a church that never, ever talked about the devil and demons. Because we, we believe there were things that people didn't understand and gave names to, but they don't really exist. But these people knew they existed. And so Paul's telling them, there's power out there, but there's good power and there's bad power. We need power in our lives. And people are hungry for power, but we want the good power. And it's a power beyond the physical. I, I came home Friday night from date night, pretty tired from all the stuff that had gone on that day. And the next day, my wife reminds me that we need to pick up hay today for a horse. So we had to go, uh, I say we. She went along with us as, a, as another guy loaded 72 bales of hay on a, on a trailer. And then I had to unload all those and put them in our barn for a horse for the winter. Now, I, I kind of think those bales have gotten heavier as I've gotten older because, man... They were heavy. Have you ever watched football, by the way? You want to know what Wisconsin strong is? Watch the Wisconsin Badgers football team. Their front line averages like six foot six, 315 pounds. And you know why? Because those guys bale hay. They, they, they've grown up on farms. They're baling hay. And I'm probably true for the most part. <laughs> they're big, and they're big and strong. And you know what? I was tired by last night and even tired this morning. But I said, you know what? A couple days, I'll, all that will be renewed. Physical strength can be renewed easier than emotional strength. And there are so many people in our culture who are emotionally drained, seeking power. You know, this week the president said, which is kind of a no-brainer, there's an epidemic in our culture. And the epidemic has to do with opioids, painkillers. And so our government's going to get on this bandwagon to address this issue. But, But I have to tell you, we're not going to solve it by focusing on, on just the pharmaceutical companies and the doctors that are prescribing the painkillers. See, what drives drug use is demand. If people want it, they will get it because someone will sell it to them, legally or illegally. And so what is it within people that's saying we want this? Well, here's, here's, here's my thought. I believe people are dealing with so much emotional pain So much frustration, hurt, confusion, loneliness, rejection, all these kind of negative emotions they're dealing with, and they need some way to deal with this pain. And so drugs becomes the outlet. It's affecting rich and poor. It's affecting the urban and rural areas. It's affecting, you know, all of our culture. It's an epidemic. It really is. But the issue is people are looking for a way to cope. Now, I don't want to compare Jesus and minimize him, but saying, like, Jesus is a drug, but I do know this. In Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all this, all these things through him who gives me strength. That, that Jesus is the one who gives you strength. That's why at the end of Ephesians, when Paul's wrapping up his letter, he tells the Ephesian readers in chapter 6, verse 10, to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. It's found in the Lord. You know what else Paul talks about with this power is it's greater than any other power. It's far above every rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. There is power available that's greater than any other power because Paul recognized there are other powers. This Tuesday is a national holiday called Halloween. When I was a little boy, all Halloween meant to me was you dress up as your favorite character, and more importantly, you get a lot of candy. That's what Halloween was for. The candy alone makes it demonic because, you know, it just, it just makes us obese, cavities, you know, <laughs> diabetic, all that kind of stuff caused by Halloween. But, the, you know, I didn't have a problem as a kid 
with Halloween. I don't have a problem with Christmas. I don't have a problem with Easter. Some, some Christians do because of the pagan origins of all these holidays. Catholic Church has come along over the years to give people a reason to celebrate, but to give a better reason for it. So instead of, instead of the, the Roman holiday, Saturnalia, we're going to celebrate Christmas and the birth of Christ. And similarly with, with, with Easter, let's celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And Halloween, they actually took the day after Halloween and called it All Saints Day. The night before was Hallow's Eve, which became Halloween. Now, there are many who believe that this is a night of the dead, the night of ghosts to appear. And some people glorify um, horror and fear and even, even joke about things like demons and, and devils. But the truth is there is a reality to that. And for some, it's a very serious holiday. They take it for its real meaning. There is a dark power in this earth. Electricians might call it dirty power, power that can be destructive, uh, power that can hurt you. But we are told in Scripture, don't be afraid of that power. 1 John 4.4 reminds us, My dear children, you are from God and have overcome them, meaning these, these evil powers, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So the Christ in you is stronger than any force above. It not only says he's above them all, it says he's far above. He's light years above every other power. Everything it says in Scripture was made by him and for him, including you and me. That's why in Philippians chapter 2, there's this great statement about Christ. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You recognize that every knee will bow? Every tongue will confess, believer and unbeliever. Some will confess it joyfully, willingly. Some will do it regretfully, painfully. And you and I get to choose which one we're going to do. But, but, but I just want to tell you this. You will bow the knee, and you will confess the fact that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. He is Lord, meaning he is owner, he is boss. In, a, in the Psalms, Psalm 110, verse 1, it says, Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies a footstool for your feet. Similar passage in Corinthians 15, the first letter that Paul wrote to them, that speaking of Christ, he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, this picture of the enemies being under his feet is this picture in, in those times in which these things were written, it was very common that when a, a, a foe was defeated, that the leaders of that army would be laid down alive and they would place a foot on their neck, implying that I can crush you with one step. I'm that powerful, that my foot can kill you. This picture here is that Satan and all his powers are still alive, they're still breathing. Satan's still a roaring lion in this earth, but Jesus has his foot on his neck. And there's coming a time when he'll be finally defeated forever and ever. But you know what's even more beautiful is what Paul wrote to the believers in Rome. Uh, in Romans 16, it says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Under your feet. What does that tell us? That we have authority over this great power called Satan. Why? Because of Jesus in us. And so when you feel tempted, you feel the lies of the enemy, lift your foot up 
and say, no way, buddy. I know who you are, and I don't believe what you're saying because of who's in me. Greater is he that is in me than you that is in this world. So there's great power in Christ, greater than any power. And then he goes on and says this, his power flows mightily through his church because Jesus is the head over everything for his church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Again, Colossians, written from Paul for prison, same time, similar issues. It says he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Why? In order that, he, that in everything he might have the supremacy, in everything. Everything was made by Jesus. Everything was made for Jesus. That's everything in creation. That's everybody in this room. You were made by him. You were made for him, that he would have supremacy. And he uses this picture of, of Jesus being the head and we as believers being the body. Ephesians has a lot of pictures of the church. There's the family of God, where God is the father. We are the brothers and sisters of the family. There's this picture of this building, this temple that is filled by the Holy Spirit. Um, There's this picture of the bride of Christ, that we as a church are the bride of Christ being prepared to be given to Christ one day. But then there's this picture here. It's probably the, the most recurring picture of the church in the New Testament. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. We are the body, implying the head is in heaven giving direction to the body on earth, and we are to do his will on this earth. When people say things like, I don't have to be part of a church. Well, Jesus says, I'm working through my church. That's my body. I don't have another body. It is my church. And we all are parts of that body. Some of us are like arms. Some of us are like ears. Some of us are like noses. Some of us are like organs in the body. We all have a different part of the body. But you know what? A body can exist without a part. About, you know, unless it's the heart or something like that. But for the most part, we can exist without a lot of the body parts. The church can go on without each one of us. But the body cannot go on without the head. See, the head gives directives to the body. And the body obeys. When your head tells your body, don't eat the donut, get down to the gym. <laughs> you know, the body, the body going to resist. I don't want to. You know, I'm tired. I like the donut. And the head says, get going, get moving. You're not going to get in shape eating the donut. Though someone reminded me from the first service, round is a shape. (laughs) Round is a shape. That's true. It is a shape. But there's this connection of the head to the body. And the body is maturing to meet up the expectations of the head. So later in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we will Grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. It's relying on Jesus being the one that we're loyal to, we're surrendered to. We acknowledge as a head, as a Lord over us and over everything else. Uh, There's a gal in our church, and she gave me permission to share this story. A few months ago, Nicole, who's a single mom, was on an online dating service, and she met this guy, and she said, She asked this fellow this question, do you go to church? He said, I believe in the concept of God, but I choose not to box those ideals into a single religion. Selecting one religion would be saying there's no value in any other religion. And I'm not the kind of person to put down others, so I don't do church. And then a little later in the discussion, he asked her, what's your favorite football team? And she said, I believe in the concept of football. But I choose not 
to box those ideals into a single team. Because selecting one team would be saying there's no value in any other team. And I'm not the kind of person to put others down, so I don't do football. Amen. Needless to say, they never dated. That was the last conversation they had. But she knows what many of us know. That what we're looking for is Jesus. And we're not ashamed to say we need him more than we need football. We need him more than we need a job. We need him more than we need anything. You might remember this, this classic line in the movie, Jerry Maguire, where uh, Tom Cruise is Jerry Maguire, and he's a pretty independent guy, but he finally comes to his, his lady, Renee Zellweger, and he just says, says three words that are so beautiful. He just looks at her and says, you complete me. But no woman can ever complete a man, and no man can ever complete a woman. And if you're married, you know that. You may have expected that when you got married, but you realize my, my mate can't meet every need. But I want to tell you, Jesus can. Because Paul says he fills us in every way. He fills everything in every way. What does that mean? He fills you. You are made with a void, with a cavity within you that only Jesus can fill. And you can try to fill it with opioids, and you can try to fill it with sports, and you can try to fill it with a boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife or a job, but you're not going to fill it. It's not going to fill you satisfactorily. Only Jesus can do that. He fills you in every single way, emotionally, financially, spiritually, relationally, everything. That, what does every way mean? I think it means every way. Every way that you have a need, Jesus can fill you. You can be a single person and be full in Christ. You can be a widow or widower and be full in Christ. You can be married and be full in Christ. It doesn't matter what, what station of life you're in. Jesus completes you.